like ask your parents or your grandparents what their interest rate was when they bought their home and they'll tell you, you know, 12 to 16%. I mean, it's, wow, it's wild. Right, so crazy. it's wild. So I think we've been very, I don't want to say spoiled, but we've been very lucky with our market in the last handful of years. And so while three weeks ago, the rates were very low, they have gone up since then. And what's happening now is just with all of the uncertainty, it's making it very difficult for mortgage companies to um, come out with accurate pricing because the market's changing constantly throughout the day. So that's translating in a constant up and down of interest rates. Welcome to The Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Show. So more than likely right now, you're sitting in your home wondering when this quarantine is finally going to be over. Uh, this episode is recorded in the midst of it, but it'll go live in a couple of weeks. So I'm hoping by the time you hear this that we are somewhat back out in the streets, but only time will tell. Anyways, now's a great time um, to really reevaluate where you are with your finances to uh, decide if it's time to make some smart decisions and some smart moves. We've seen um, the economy um, take some significant blows um, in recent weeks. And so one of the things that a lot of people have been wondering is now a good time to buy a home. Um, A few weeks ago, we saw um, changes in interest rates. And as a result of that, there's a lot of talk around that. Um, And so, you know, I wanted to bring a guest on the show who could really help us understand not just is now the right time to buy a home, but when we do buy a home, what does that process even look like and how do we prepare for it? Corey is a Houston based mortgage lender with a passion for financial literacy and wellness. She specializes in working with first time home buyers and is passionate about the educational side of mortgage. Through digital marketing and relationships with her clients, she strives to provide knowledge and in-depth understanding of financing a home and overall financial stability. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Show. As you guys know, you know I try to bring you guests who are going to bring real tangible value to questions, things that you're thinking about things that are actually relevant to, you know, your current financial situation. So I thought it would be great to have somebody on the show who can give us some insight to what's going on in the world of, you know, mortgage rates, right? Like you're seeing a lot in the news right now about that. So I thought it would be phenomenal to have somebody on the show who could shed a little bit of light on that. So with no further ado, Corey, how you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, yeah. I cannot complain, right? Just trying to, as we talked about for a few seconds offline, just uh, adapting to the, the world right now. But other than, exactly, but other trying than to that, stay yeah. trying to stay sane and balanced and live as normally as possible amidst all of this. 
craziness, right? A hundred percent, hundred percent. So if you don't mind, I know obviously that my, my listeners just heard the, the formal intro, but if you could just share a little bit about just, you know, who you are and, and what you're all about, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So I live in Houston, Texas. Um, like you mentioned, George, I work in mortgage, so I am a mortgage lender. Um, I work locally here in Houston, but I do most of my business is in Houston, but I do work pretty much all through Texas. Um, and most of my business is with first time home buyers. So I do a lot of loans for, I would say people between the ages of like 24 and 35, um, first time buyers that are buying their first home. And I do, I kind of approach things from an educational side. Um, so I like to really explain the mortgage process. I think it's an industry, I'm sure you know as well, being in the financial space, there's just a lot of misinformation and confusion around it. Um, so I kind of paved a lane of really teaching our generation what mortgage looks like, what it means for them, what it looks like, and really all of the options that exist. Um, so that's kind of a summary of what I do over here. Awesome. 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 Um, and so how, how did you like find yourself deciding that, you know what, I want to be in the, have a career in as a mortgage lender? Like how did, how did yeah. that come about? You know, it's funny because I think to myself all the time that this is something to be completely honest. I, I never really knew what it was or what the job looked like. And it's definitely not something that as a kid, you're like, I'm going to grow up and do mortgage loans and I'm going to be in mortgage. It never would have crossed my mind. Um, so I actually, I started in business development about a year and a half ago and I kind of learned just the basics of more so the relationship building um, and really what kind of the real estate industry looked like. I was getting a feel for that. Um, my mom's been a realtor for about 15 years now. So I kind of saw what she did. Um, but again, I didn't know so much of the mortgage side. So started in business development and then went over to the origination side and it kind of just, I don't want to say fell into my lap, um, but it kind of did. And it was a, it's a good job for me and I love it. I love the challenge and kind of the mixture of social and numbers that it brings me. Um, So yeah, definitely not something I saw myself doing, but I can't complain and I'm glad I'm in it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the the lending process, because if you've never been in it, you just think realtor, realtor, mm-hmm. realtor, right? But like, there's no path to your home, but through the, the lender, right? You have to be able to get that, that financing to be able to buy the house unless you're just sitting on a few hundred thousand dollars. In the exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, most of us aren't, I wish I was, but um, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where until you see how it works, to me, the concept of financing, especially a house didn't make much sense until I really got in it and saw the structure and what it looks like and how it works. Um, so my goal is really to teach that and, and show that to other people and how attainable it really is. Got you. I think that's a perfect segue to another point. So like mm-hmm. what, what is, what does that process look like? So let's say I'm a first time home buyer and it's like, you know, uh, I think I want to buy a house. That's, that's literally where I'm at. Right. I think I want to yep. buy a house and, I don't know where to start. Walk us through that process at a high level. Yeah, sure. And so I also want to say most of my clients come to me at this level. And a lot of people will come to me and they're like, you know, they'll apologize. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know anything. And this is something that 
none of us know. Like we, we are not taught this in school. Um, it's really something that I just think, like I said, it's very, there's just not a lot of information out there. And until you start the process yourself, you don't know much. So if you're in this position, just never feel bad. It's something that none of us know about until you're kind of thrown into the deep end. Um, and that's why I'm here to try and help. So if you're at that point and you don't know where to start, um, the first step I would say, and like you said, George, most people maybe have a realtor that they're already working with. Um, so the first step is going to be to get with a lender. Um, you can, there are so many options for that. Obviously, if you live in Houston or Texas, I would love for you to call me. But if you live elsewhere, um, I highly recommend asking for a referral. So ask your realtor, ask whoever you're working with, ask your parents or a friend who's bought a house, ask for a referral because it's a very personal process. And there's so many things that go into it from your own personal finances to meeting deadlines um, to pretty consistent communication. And you want to trust this person. So ask for a referral, get with a lender, and you're going to talk to them about getting what we call pre-approved. Um, I like to explain a pre-approval as a formal budget, if you will, for buying a house. Um, so you'll do an application with your lender which pretty much involves putting in your all of your basic information like you would do on anything, your social security, your date of birth, your name. Um, and they're going to ask you questions about your income. Where do you work? How long have you worked there? Um, is this a base salary? Is it commission? There's going to be a lot of questions about your income. And then we do have to pull credit. Um, and then we'll look at your debt. So the process basically starts with talking to a lender having them get a feel for who you are, what you're looking for, what your income looks like, what your debts look like, um, asking you some really important questions before filling out that application. Um, and then once you fill out that application, that's kind of how we get your budget together um, and get you pre-approved, which is what you would then use to start looking at home, seeing what you qualify for and making offers. Got it. Got it. Okay. Awesome. So I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, right? And, you know, sometimes before they come to me, similar to you, like they don't necessarily have all their ducks in a row um, mm-hmm. as it relates to just how their, their business is organized and how they're thinking about their finances. So what does that process look like for someone who, you know, I know as an employee, it's a lot easier, right? You have your W-2, you know, right. you your taxes. Like what are some of the things that entrepreneurs can do to say, you know what, I want to be able to qualify and buy a home. And, mm-hmm. and what are some of the things they can do proactively to put themselves in a position to where it's not so, you know, arduous when it comes time to like buying a home? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. Um, and I, I get asked a similar question quite a bit. So the main thing that I would advise is when it comes to getting a loan, you have to look at it. I always tell people we're looking at it as what we call a risk factor. So when you're an entrepreneur or when you are self-employed, um, there's a pretty strict guideline in place that wants you to have two years of history. And that's simply because it's looked at as a higher risk factor, right? You're making your own income. Um, and a lender essentially wants to look at that and take a pretty accurate average. And the way that they determine that is by taking a 24-month average. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur or if you're self-employed, my advice is to really prepare for that timeline. Uh, you're going to need to show two years of history with your employment and with your 
with your job and how you're making money and what you do. And that is going to be documented by your tax returns. Um, there are some places that will do what's called a bank statement loan, but to speak pretty generally and traditionally, it's going to be done by your tax returns and we use your taxable income. So I always like to talk to my entrepreneur clients and self-employed people out there. And, you know, there's a lot of us now that I think take that path. Um, so I would say just kind of prepare. It is going to take some time. Um, you need a two-year history and you need to document that on your tax returns with your taxable income. Another big thing to point out is you want to show an increase in income. So if we're looking at 2018 and 2019, your lender is going to want to see an increase between from 18 to 19. They don't want to see that your income went down. Um, so just keep that in mind as you're filing for your taxes, you're going to need to file them. Um, and that's what we're, that's what we use to come up with your income average. Yeah, cause that's so I a, hope that helped. That, that's very helpful <laughs> for sure. Cause that's another issue. Yeah. Right? It's like two things that you said. One, as an entrepreneur, like you want to take advantage of the tax write off. So it's like, oh, well, I'm just mm-hmm. going to write off everything. Exactly. And then, and, exactly. Yeah. And then you, you know, it comes time to like actually having your taxable income. It's like, oh, shoot, I don't have anything to show for for now. I can't qualify for a house. Right. Exactly. And so I always tell people talk to your CPA or whoever you're using to help you file. If buying a home is a goal of yours, communicate that to them. Um, because, like you just said, it's, we're basing it on your taxable income. So make sure you're communicating what you would like to do with your CPA so that everything can kind of be adjusted accordingly um, to help you be in a position to be able to do that. Right, right. Um, and, I, and I always, and, and now I have a CPA that's in-house to my firm, but mm-hmm. before, before when I was referring it out, to, like for my clients, it was always a kind of a, a butting heads with, between me and, and the CPA as a financial advisor because I'm trying to help them think beyond just how can I save the most money today? Right. It's like, OK, right. yes, that's exactly. important. But if we know that we want to qualify for this house, or if we know there's other things that we want to do, then it's not just about the tax liability today. We have to think holistically. So I think that's exactly. very, very important to communicate. Yep, that. You got to think long term. Um, and I think it's just important to kind of, you know, if you are wanting to buy a house and you're self-employed or you're planning on going that direction, you've got to allow yourself that two years. A lot of people, I think, go into it and, you know, they make money for eight months. And then they come to me and they're like, oh, I made this much in eight months. I want to buy a house. And while logically that might sound good and you may have made a lot of money to a lender, it doesn't translate the same way. So that makes perfect sense. So, you know, I'm curious, though, like, is there any situation that let's just say, you know, the entrepreneur didn't have the luxury of, of hearing this podcast and you giving them mm-hmm. all this game, right? And so they just, they want to buy a house. They didn't plan out that two-year time frame. Is there any legal, like, ways around that? Any loopholes, anything that they can do, in, like, in the short term to remedy that so that they could still maybe get that home, even though they don't want to wait two, two years to um, qualify any way around that at all? So there's a couple ways to answer that. Um, my first suggestion would be, you know, hypothetically speaking, if you're married, um, if you are in a position where you're not going to be the only one on the loan, then potentially we can use your spouse's income um, to qualify, assuming that it can support the debt to income ratio. So there's kind of ways to structure the loan if it's not just you. Um 
you know, the legally, I don't want to speak too much on that just because it's a pretty strict underwriting guideline there for what we call qualified mortgages. Um, there are some situations where we may only need one year of tax returns. Uh, there may be some other lenders out there that aren't, that it isn't necessarily a qualified mortgage that may be able to do it. Like I said, maybe a bank statement loan. Um, I cannot personally speak to that. So there, there are ways out there, but traditionally speaking, that two year history is pretty set in stone. Understood. Understood. Yeah. So more stories, entrepreneurs, be proactive, right? If you know there's something that you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, think long term and make sure that you're not just writing off everything for the sake of writing it off, but think about how that plays into your ability to show enough income to be able to qualify for that home in the future. Okay, that's helpful. Exactly. Awesome. Um, so, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now, right? I mean, you know, the economy's seeming to take a, a large hit with just all of the the scare around the virus, you know, certain parts of the country are being shut down. Uh, just just a lot happening, right? Amidst all of that, um, I would say probably within the last, I don't know, let's call it 45 days or so, maybe even 60 days, um, you know, we've seen some adjustments um, in, in rates, right? Um, and so as a result of that, I've seen a lot of people talk about Hey, maybe now's the the right time to buy a home. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, what's what's your perspective on on what's happening? Um, if someone is thinking about buying a home, is now a good time to buy a home amidst amidst all the stuff that's going on? If someone you know wants to refinance, is, does it make sense? Just kind of give us your perspective on what's happening right now and how the potential home buyer or person that wants to refinance should be thinking about things. Yeah, and great question. You have a lot of really good questions, Thank but um, <laughs> it's you know, that one, man, I mean, with everything going on, it is kind of, it's tough to say, is it a good time to buy? Um, depends on what market you're in here in Houston. I think we're very fortunate to live in pretty much a, a very stable economy. Our real estate market is for the most part, usually very good, um, on both ends, whether you're selling or buying a home today. I, what I kind of wanted to talk about was you know, maybe three weeks ago from when we're filming this, we had a pretty big dip in interest rates. Everybody was talking about how much rates lowered. It was a great time to refinance, to buy. And I I had a handful of people come to me to refinance. Um, And so I got a bunch of applications in. We had a huge influx all over the country of applications and pipelines. You know, every every bank and mortgage company was getting flooded with applications, which is a great thing. What happens is when something like that happens and your lender tells you to lock the rate, because rates, if you guys don't know, I mean, they can change minute to minute, essentially. And that's kind of what's happening right now. Um, But a couple weeks ago, we had that big dip and it was highly advised to lock that so that you could secure that rate. A lot of people, I think, were hoping for an even bigger reduction and decided, let me not lock. Let's see if we can go any lower. And with all of this now happening with the coronavirus and the uncertainty with the economy and everything going on with the bond market, we have seen a pretty crazy roller coaster going up and down multiple times a day with interest rates. Um, So what's now happened is those people that came weeks ago to refinance, if they didn't lock, they're now in a situation where the rates are not as good as they were three weeks ago. 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that rates are bad. You know, I always like to tell people, ask, like, ask your parents or your grandparents what their interest rate was when they bought their home. And they'll tell you, you know, 12 to 16 percent. I mean, it's, it's wow. wild. Right. So Crazy. it's wild. So I think we've been very, I don't want to say spoiled, but we've been very lucky with our market in the last handful of years. And so while three weeks ago, the rates were very low, they have gone up since then. And what's happening now is just with all of the uncertainty, it's making it very difficult for mortgage companies to um, come out with accurate pricing because the market's changing constantly throughout the day. So that's, that's translating in a constant, up and down of interest rates. So it's not a bad time to buy. The rates are still not bad. They're just not where they were three weeks ago, if that makes sense. That makes, <laughs> it's a that, crazy yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And so when you say lock, does that essentially mean that like there's a period of time if you go ahead and like submit for that loan or whatever that you can lock in that rate? Like what, is, what does that effectively mean to like lock the rate in? Yeah, so locking your rate means it it now belongs to you. You got it. Like if when those rates dropped three weeks ago, um, if you locked during that time, that means that you are going to close on your new mortgage, whether you're refinancing or purchasing, with that rate. Um, what happens a lot of times is you'll get quoted by a lender uh, if you just fill out an application, and they'll say this is our rate as of today. If whatever, hypothetically speaking, 3.75%. But that if your rate is not locked, it's just a quote. It really, it doesn't belong to you. It's not going to necessarily be the rate that you have moving forward on your mortgage. Because if those numbers change, then your quote is subject to change. So locking your rate just means it's, it's locked in. It's your rate for your mortgage. So if you're Floating, what we call meaning you're not locked. Those rates are subject to change depending on the market. Got it. Perfect. So, like, so I guess if you're in that home buying process, the smart thing to do is um, when you see like a, a, a drop in a rate, to go ahead and lock that rate so that you can guarantee that you're able to get it at that level. Makes sense. Yeah, you're you're really going to want to. It's kind of it's a little confusing because you have we have what's called a 30, 60, 90 day lock. So it's it locks it for that period of time. So you really want to wait till you're under contract before you lock your rate. Um, that's, that's my professional advice on that. Um, but yes, my advice for anyone listening, especially first time buyers is if you're working, like I said, with a lender that you trust somebody that has your best interest, which they should, if someone tells you to lock or they recommend that you lock, my advice is to do it. Um, obviously, it's, it's up to you. It's your decision. It is your money at the end of the day. But in a market like what we're having right now, we're all kind of keeping an eye on it pretty much hour by hour for our clients. And so when it's advised to go ahead and lock that rate, I would say to listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why you work with professionals, right? The whole goal is like you're leaning on them. Absolutely. Right. If you were going to make your own decision, then you should be doing it yourself in the first place. Right. Use the people that you're working with. Yeah. Use your resources. And that's what I I tell my clients all the time, too. I mean, you want you want your realtor to have your best interest and they're negotiating on your behalf. And 
you want your lender to have your best interest and you know, that's your money. That's your monthly mortgage. that's going to be with you for a long time. So always, and not even in just real estate, but just work with people you trust. Um, you really, and, and like you said, use them, like let them make your life easier. (laughs) 100% couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, so quick, quick question. Um, I'm just curious. So when people already own a home and, they're thinking about refinancing, like what, what really moves the needle, right? Like what, when does it really worth it to say, you know what, let me go ahead and refinance this mortgage. You know, I got a 4.25 interest rate. And if, you know, Mm -hmm. my, you know, my lender says, Hey, you know, you should refinance because of where rates are right now from your, in your professional opinion, like how many points move the needle? I don't know the best way to like answer this, but like, when does it make sense to refinance? Yeah, so typically it it does depend, but generally speaking, it's usually going to be if you're saving at least 1% of interest. Um, And if we really wanted to get fancy, but it can get pretty stressful, if you really look at how much interest you pay on your mortgage, it's it's wild. Um, So if you're saving at least 1%, that's typically when a lender would tell you it's, it's probably worth it. Um, another thing to keep in mind is how long you've lived in the house and owned the home. If it's less than two years, you may not have put much of a dent in your principal balance. And so what can happen on a refinance with something like that is you're, you haven't put a dent in that balance and then you're kind of rolling those closing costs into it for a refinance and you're kind of ending back up at square one. So if you're not planning to live in that home for another handful of years, it may not be worth it. So generally speaking, I'd say around 1% of interest savings and maybe around two years of ownership in the house. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's, that's very, very helpful for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of feel like buying a house for many people is one of, if not their biggest financial undertaking um, that mm-hmm. they'll make up until that point. Right. And so I know that you're not, you, you don't just focus on the lending piece. You like to focus on education, just overall financial like literacy from my understanding. And so as a result, right. as a result of that, when someone's coming to you who doesn't necessarily know much, they just know they want to buy a house. How do you help clients kind of weigh their options and understand the difference between what they're approved for versus like what it makes sense for them to actually purchase for their situation so that they're in a good spot? Yeah, great question. So that is something, I mean, just like any other financial obligation, you really, you never want to max yourself out. Um, And so I always like to ask my clients, you know, what do you want your monthly payment to be around? What are you comfortable with? So we can always look at the maximum purchase that you qualify for. um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you will want to buy or what you should buy. Um, and again, that's kind of something where I can, I can advise you, but if you qualify for something, it's up to you. I mean, I have clients that will go to their absolute maximum because they love the house. And then I have, I have a client right now who qualifies for 450,000, but he doesn't, he's probably going to end up buying around 200,000 because he wants, he knows exactly where he wants his monthly payment to be. Um, so it's, it's definitely a personal preference and I'm always here to, kind of bounce those ideas and speak from a professional point of view, but it's really what you're comfortable with as an individual and what you're comfortable with for yourself and your family financially. Makes perfect sense. Awesome.
This podcast episode is sponsored by CapitalWise. CapitalWise is a boutique financial planning firm serving entrepreneurs of high growth companies. We also have investment management services for all. Plan precisely, invest intelligently. CapitalWise. So one thing you may or may not have context to, but like I know some areas of the country, like you know New York says they're shutting down, San Francisco says they're shutting down. Like in the event that like we have like a a, a national shutdown, right? It's like hey, look for thirty mm-hmm. days, you know nothing's moving, nothing's shaking. What would happen? Do you, and you might not know this because it's unprecedented territory, but like if someone was in the middle of the home buying process, would they still be able to process their transaction? Like what would that look like? Do you know? Have you so. Yeah, I was just talking to my manager about this this morning. Um, Worst case scenario, you know, ideally would be, yes, you're able to. But, I mean, there's so many ways that that situation could go. And um, I I am not sure. We're kind of bouncing ideas off each other as it is because there's so many parties involved in the transaction, right? So not only, it's not just, getting the loan and buying the house, you know, you have to have an appraiser go out to buy the house. You have to have the title company working, your lenders working. So there's a lot of moving pieces that have to happen in order to get that home closed. Um, So I, I don't know. I hope that we don't have to come to an answer on that yeah yeah me you you and me both because i have a few irons in the fire here in north carolina i'm just like yeah yeah, i don't need this right now i do not need this no i know i know yeah but hey we'll we'll just have to uh, adjust improvise adapt and overcome is what i always say yep um so i know we're we're we're, uh we're we're coming up um on a close here pretty soon um but i did have one did, did have one more question uh primary question that i wanted to ask you um, so you know, there's always this big debate, right? About is your your primary residence like is that actually an asset or a liability, right? Some people argue, oh, because I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. So yes, yeah, so I'm very interested on in your opinion, right? Because you know, some people say, hey, you're living in the house. Is it really an asset? You're paying down mm-hmm. the mortgage, and there's a lot of you know, there's a a lot of variables that go into play, especially when you compare like you know, living in an apartment versus living in a house, right? When mm-hmm. you live in your house and you love it, so you're you're painting, you're buying probably higher quality furniture, you're having to worry about the repairs, and there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that go into it. So I'm interested on your perspective on is your house, your primary residence considered an asset or a liability in from your perspective and like what's your take on that so i personally view it as an asset um for the fact of you're building equity in something that you have ownership in and ideally down the line it appreciates and you sell it for a profit or you pass it down to someone in your family a child or whatever you flip it to an investment and you're you have renters there's so oh but you said primary um, so prime, I mean, I see it as an asset. However, you can look at it, like you said, either way. I mean, if you're paying something down until it's paid off, it's technically a debt, right? So you can look at it many different ways. Um, I personally view it as an asset because you are building equity and ownership in something that hopefully you can turn into a profit. Or you decide to live in it, and it's something that you own. Um, I I always find myself saying it's kind of like monopoly. It's 
it's still your money. It just looks different. It doesn't look like cash. It looks like your home, hmm. if that makes sense. It so, is, that makes um, sense. I can yeah, that. it's not. It's not going anywhere, if you will. It's going into something that you're building for yourself or for your family or your future. So it's just changing its form in a way. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Hey, that's that's a fair perspective. And it's one of those things that yeah. is tomato, tomato. Everybody has, you know, their their perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my whole thing is I, I just think it's never when it comes to like personal finance. Number one, it's called personal finance for a reason. Right. Like. everything is contingent upon what makes sense for your situation. Um, But I'm just an advocate at this point of anybody making positive strides towards making good financial decisions. Right. And if for you, you've quantified that having a house where your, your mortgage payment isn't going to go up versus rent. And you feel like that's like the, the best play for you to get ahead relative to your financial goals. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm not an either right. or kind of guy. I think so many, so many people like either or it's like either you do it this way or that way or this way or that way. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. And I think it depends on, it's a perspective thing. It depends on how you choose to look at it. And if that's a goal of yours, um, it's kind of something where like if I was on a debate team and you put me on either side, I'll, I'll argue for it. You know what I mean? So um, I personally view it as more of an asset just personal opinion um but it, it can go either way and people definitely see it as as both 100 percent. I might, I might have to start asking that for everybody and keep a running tally of what everybody's yeah opinion is right nah. i'd be interested <laughs> to hear yeah i really would you know i'm gonna I'm, i think i'm gonna do that i'm gonna institute a little a uh, question i'm gonna do it maybe more, more rapid fire styles versus getting everybody's perspective like is a home yeah asset liability right and just get their yeah. initial response okay cool well hey we just invoke the new policy as a result of this podcast um (laughs) (laughs) so you know you're you're doing a lot of great things i know we talked primarily about you know your expertise which you have a a phenomenal wealth of knowledge in the the realm of mortgage lending and things of that nature but um it seems like you have a lot of different great things going on going on which is why you know i think we connected and have been connected only for a short period of time um but it's been great just to be able to virtually connect and see all the things that you're doing um, between fitness and health and wellness. So, you know, how can people just tap in and, and get connected with you? What's the best place for people to learn more about you and all the wonderful things you have going on? Yeah. So to learn more about me, I would say is as cliche and basic as it may sound is to just go to my Instagram. That's, I think, where I try to make kind of like a little personal portfolio and show all those different sides of myself. Um, I Obviously, I work full-time in mortgage, but I really try to just connect with our generation in a very personal way, Um, and I think that helps build trust for all of us that are in more of a, you know, client relations-based position where we're connecting with people um, for our job, whatever that may be. So my Instagram is just Corey Shearer, C-O-R-I-S-C-H-E-R-E-R. Um, And I do get a lot of clients on there. So if you guys ever have a question, feel free to message me. I definitely, I will not do business on Instagram when it pertains to mortgage. I'll direct you to my business email. Um, but I'm happy to connect with people on there. I'm always kind of talking about current topics and events on there as it relates to mortgage, answering some questions, just kind of bringing light, uh, to the space. And like you said, I do a lot of like lifestyle fitness, just overall wellness and, finance I think plays a part into that which George like I said that's kind of how I found you and I think you do some really great stuff like this podcast as well um I just think I don't know for our generation 
talking about money has been so taboo. And so I love seeing people like you who really tap into that and bring others who have a wealth of knowledge in different parts of that to really just share with people and put as much out there as we can. So thank you for doing everything you do. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, it's the, the feeling is definitely mutual. I don't, yeah. I don't think that the turnaround time for me virtually meeting someone to me inviting them as a guest on the podcast has ever happened this fast. So that, that just wow. goes to show you uh, <laughs> how, how valuable I think, you know, your insight yeah. is um, to the marketplace and, and just glad to be thank able to you. be connected with you. And whenever, and whenever I make it out to Houston, cause I do have some clients out there now, I'll definitely have to connect with you in person and maybe throw on the boxing Please. gloves, get a little, you know, get a little mitt work in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate just talking to you today. And, um, you know, I've listened to some of your other episodes, so I think you have a great platform and, and incredible resources that you're sharing with people. So I am definitely honored to be a part of that. Well, thank you so much. And I know you have to run, but I got really one quick question. I promise you'll be able to answer yes. it in under 30 seconds. <laughs> what does living life uncensored mean to you? I would say the first thing that comes to mind is just being yourself, whatever you do. I was just thinking about this yesterday because yesterday was my one year anniversary with my employer. And I was thinking about, thank you. But I was thinking (laughs) in relation to your question, how, when I first started, I was, I don't want to say talked down to, but in a way for being unconventional, you know, I'm a little bit younger than a lot of people that do what I do. And I use social media quite a bit to connect with people. And it's something that hasn't been seen. So living uncensored, I say, just do you. And that might sound general, but whatever industry you're in, whatever you're trying to do with your life, be it professional, personal, don't try to conform to what you think that should look like. Like, be okay and have faith in knowing that doing it your way will lead you to the path that you're supposed to be on and bring you to the people you're supposed to be having your life or be working with or having your circle. Um, just not conforming to what you think something should look like and just really doing it your way and walking your own path um, with everything that we do. 100%. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we'll this won't be the the last conversation. We got to keep it going and figure out how we can I continue to collaborate. Yeah. Um so thanks so much and I hope you have a great rest of the day. Yes, you too and we'll be in touch. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours? What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for listening to the Uncensored Podcast. Whether you've listened to one episode or 40 episodes, I am so grateful for you taking any amount of time out of your day to listen to my show. Now, if you like what you heard, the best way to show me that you have an appreciation for this content is to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts 
and share this podcast with at least three friends because that helps us spread the word, right? We don't have a big marketing budget over here at the Uncensored uh, Podcast Studios, which is my home office, by the way, but we do have your support. And with that support, we can reach thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. So guys, thanks so much uh, for your support. Please share this with three friends and leave a review and we'll see you on the next episode.